So the reading this morning is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. It's quite a challenge, actually. You've got to look right, left, up, down. So if I don't quite get it right, I'm sorry. Wonderful to be feasting around the Lord's table and to be celebrating Reverend Aidan's priesting. Wonderful day. You'll notice I've brought a painting along this morning, and this is a painting by our daughter, Lizzie Prosser. And I've brought it because I feel it speaks to the motivation of the passage that we are considering this morning. So like any good story, we need to get ourselves into a bit of context. Corinth is the place. Now Corinth was a narrow strip of land, sea either side, connecting southern and northern counties of Greece. It was known to be a prosperous place, a place which was known for military prowess. It was famous for the temple to the goddess Aphrodite unfortunately known as a sex-obsessed place and had extensive slavery. When Paul first visits this, he joins in by a manual trade of tent-making, meets Aquila and Priscilla who offer him hospitality. And when you listen to the writings of Paul through the New Testament, you get this sense that he understands that in weakness, God's 
power and love is made strong. This is not a person coming towards the complexity of Corinth with the good news in his boldness and confidence, rather one recognizing his dependence on God. When he's writing these letters to the church of Corinth, it is a church that has become larger. It's a church that is beginning to find divisions between those who are wealthy and those living with poverty. It is a church moving into a lack of church discipline. And as Paul is writing, you get this sense that he's emphasizing he is a changed man. There is a reason for that. And he wants them to listen to his teaching. Paul had been someone who had hated Jesus. He had stood by when Stephen was murdered, one of the early Christians, and he had made it his ambition to eradicate the movement of the followers of the way, as early Christians were referred to. Now, as he writes this letter, can you hear with me the resonance of the words, Christ's love compels us. We are convinced one died for all. Paul's teaching in this passage in chapter 5 asserts that a Christian will be a person who is compelled by Jesus' love to persuade others of the good news of being reconciled to God through the ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus and will be people of self-control. As messengers, we are called to be and to bring a message of life forgiveness, reconciliation, hope, equality. Rather than a message that colludes with the view that somehow Christianity is outdated, archaic, oppressive, rule-bound, irrelevant, this is a message of those of us that will embody the valuing of every person, every part of creation, as God values them and every part. This is the message of reconciliation. Every person can become a new creation, transformed, changed, because Paul was changed from one who hated Jesus to loving Jesus. It is for freedom. This is not a message of dogma and insistence. This is a message of life-giving. This is a message of liberating relationships and work and life. It is for freedom that Jesus sacrificed all. It is for freedom that he died for all. It's not a freedom of want and recklessness. It is a freedom for the whole person to worship God, to live in a relationship of love and acceptance, to be forgiven and to find the fullest of life. What a wonderful story! So let us pause, take a breath. Companion is smiling at me there. I can tell you, we need to pause, don't we? Thank you, friend. Take a breath. Look at the painting again. In what ways do you feel changed by the news 
that Jesus has died for you. Who do you most want to tell this story to? As we live our lives out in a secular society, facing this pandemic so destructive to our communities and nations across the world, how are we being and bringing this good news? Dr. Rosalie veloso Yule speaks of the importance of knowing our mission context, knowing what's happening, what's changing, what's the impact of that on lives lived around us. And I feel that she's encouraging us to remain alert and aware, to be engaging with those critical conversations how are we wrestling with the challenges of today, of COVID, of rising homeless, of rising unemployment, of the problems within education and social care, of the complex and unsettled lives of migrants and refugees, of rising domestic violence, of technological advancement that is for betterment and yet sometimes so fear-inducing for someone like me. How are we engaging with this? Wrestling with God in prayer. Resting in God in prayer. Being with God. Expectant that God is listening and will bring answers. Before we finish, I want to focus on another story in the Bible to build on what we're thinking about this morning. And that's the story of a woman called Lydia. And Lydia, you will find this story in Acts chapter 16. Lydia was from a place called Thyatira, which we understand to be modern Turkey. Lydia was a businesswoman. She was a woman who dyed purple cloth and sold purple cloth. We understand her to have a fair amount of status because she would have only sold purple cloth to the wealthy elite. It was an expensive cloth. When Paul and the team with him arrive in a colony, Philippi, which was, I think, northern Greece. They find no non-pagan worshippers in the city because all non-pagan worshippers had been exiled to outside the city. So Paul instructs those with him to go and find where they are. I would love to have been a fly on the wall at this conversation. I was saying this only earlier this morning at 9.15. What would it have been like to have been among all those conversations and these people of difference and what they were going about and suddenly there's Paul and the team sharing this good news with them, a different story about Jesus who can bring the fullness of forgiveness and life. What might that have been like? Because we are told that Lydia becomes persuaded by that message. And she asks to be considered a believer. And she asks to be baptized. And the whole of her household is baptized. Again, speaking to the status that she may well have had. Why do I draw on this story? 
Well, currently, we have a recognised decline in those discovering Christian faith and those belonging to Christian church. We notice that Paul is with others, with a team. They're praying together, they're journeying together, they're listening to one another, they're learning together about the faith of Jesus Christ. Mission, sharing of the good news is never done in isolation. It is born out of the community of prayer and living the life of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the fervor and persuasiveness of this good news does not come like a sleek, polished, practiced sales pitch. The conviction comes through God's spirit. And we are simply asked to be open, to share it. It points to the importance of a prayerful life, a life praying to listen to God's nudge and the work of the Spirit, when to be quiet, when to listen to another, when to speak truth into circumstance, when to act. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 writes, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, for we are God's co-workers. We're led to be messengers of this good news, co-working with God. It's not my mission, my church, but it's the mission of God worked out through Christ in us. This is the place of humility that we might be a light to the nations. And Paul and the team are not put off by finding there are no non-pagan worshippers in Philippi. They go and search them out. They go to the margins. They go and engage where people are living and working and praying. How much are we engaging with local businesses and our community? What does it look like to tend well to those relationships and those contexts so that the whole community thrives? Before we end, and when we come back to Lydia, we notice that Paul and Silas, a member of the team, have been inappropriately imprisoned and they're leaving the prison and Lydia is opening up her household for hospitality and encouraging them to come and be with the new believers and they come and they encourage those new believers what did it cost Lydia to be so bold did she lose business did she lose status did she lose clients What did it cost her? Because being and bringing this message of good news will not always be received well. But we are called to do this. You know, I noticed how her boldness with the partnership of the team brought about a flourishing faith, Christian faith, in that place at that time. And I thought, finally, about that word boldness. You know, when you are grief-stricken, 
and you feel that depression, sometimes that boldness is to get out of bed and to believe that God somehow is present. How does that courage speak into the lives of others? Or what about in your peer group? You're beginning to notice that those you mix with are not behaving or following habits that perhaps are honoring of Jesus. And you just step back for a season. How does that speak truth into the life of another? Or maybe for those who live in a household where Christian faith is not shared or even not agreed with. What does it mean to live out a persuasive and persistent faith in Jesus Christ when it is so often a lonely place? And maybe we can capture some of those kind of colloquial phrases. You know, what are your favorite pastimes? Do you like me answer, I won't say sport, um, but do you like me answer reading a book, gardening, going for a walk? What's it like to actually get intentional? Is that actually, as a Christian, when I was gardening recently and I was looking at this beautiful butterfly, I couldn't help but think how amazing God is. Or when I met with my friend recently, And we were struggling with that news. We just said, let's wrestle with God in prayer. As a Christian, dot, dot, dot. And of course, not forgetting the diligent, caring, compassionate actions that speak practically into a world of pain. I want us to finish by just coming back to this painting As you look, I invite you to be curious about the ways in which God has already been at work through you in bringing this message of good news to others. What offering of intention do you want to bring to the foot of the cross today? For God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God.